this morning from St. Luke chapter 1, beginning in verse 26. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent by God to a town in Galilee called Nazareth, to a virgin engaged to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. The virgin's name was Mary. And he came to her and said, Greetings, favored one. The Lord is with you. But she was much perplexed by his words and pondered what sort of greeting this might be. The angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And now you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you will name him Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his ancestor David. He will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. Mary said to the angel, How can this be, since I am a virgin? The angel said to her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore the child to be born will be holy. He will be called Son of God. And now your relative Elizabeth, in her old age, has also conceived a son, And this is the sixth month for her who was said to be barren, for nothing will be impossible with God. Then Mary said, Here am I, the servant of the Lord. Let it be with me according to your word. Then the angel departed from her. This is the word of God for the people of God. There is an anonymous poem that was found scratched in a wall at Auschwitz at the end of World War II. It's only three lines long. I've put it in your outline. I believe in the sun even when it's not shining. I believe in love even when I don't feel it. I believe in God even when He is silent. That is almost an unbelievable statement of faith considering the devastating circumstances in which it was written or scratched, if you will. I believe in the sun even when it's not shining. I believe in love even when I don't feel it. I believe in God even when He is silent. Do we have such faith? When we find our lives in turmoil or we find ourselves in devastating circumstances, do we affirm that even though we do not understand or we do not see God at work, that we still believe that the sun will shine again, that love will reign, that God is still alive and at work in our lives? Mark Miller is a hymn writer, a modern-day hymn writer and church musician He came across these lines. He was taken with them. They spoke to him. He is the composer and arranger of the piece that we've been singing with those same words. A friend of his who's a United Methodist pastor and worship leader was invited by our bishop to come to Oklahoma a little over a year ago to talk about worship and different kinds of music and worship and different kinds of liturgy and how we might improve our efforts she shared with us this song by her friend Mark Miller. And after she had taught it to us and we had sung through it a few times, she said, for me, this really speaks of our season of Advent. This takes us into the heart of what Advent is all about, this time of waiting, a time of darkness, a time of uncertainty. 
Well, that's been percolating within me ever since I heard her speak about that, ever since I heard the tune. It brings us to this moment in our lives on this first Sunday of Advent for us to consider those same kinds of questions. How well does your faith serve you when you experience times of, and you can fill in the blank, despair, difficulty, depression, desperation, unexpected delays or unacceptable detours, doubts. When you experience those kinds of things in life, where do you turn? Do you still believe in God? In the history of Christian people, this has been called the via negativa or the negative way. Some writers talk about it as the dark night of the soul. Live long enough And you will experience such a time in your life when things are not going the way that you expected, when things seem dark and distressing and difficult, and you wonder, where is God in all of this? Luke tells us a story this morning about Mary. She had not lived all that long, and yet she gets what I think is a disturbing message. Now, we often read right past this and rush on to the birth of Christ and the wonder of all of that, but I want us to ponder this a little longer with Mary this morning because she finds this, I think, a disturbing message. Consider her situation. She is a teenager. Well, it doesn't tell us exactly how old she is in the text, but our Bible scholar says that she would have been a teenager betrothed that is engaged to be married but not yet married hearing this message from God that she is favored and yet that she's going to become pregnant out of wedlock and the message goes on to say do not be afraid but that should be a red flag to all of us whenever we read through scripture and says do not be afraid you can be sure that whatever the message is is about to freak you out It's going to take you to a place that you're uncomfortable where you're going to have to trust God more than you ever have before. It's like when someone comes up and says, no offense, you know what they're getting ready to say. They're going to offend you. They're getting ready to tell you what you did wrong. They're going to criticize you a little bit, but they want you to listen, so they say, no offense, but you know they're about to offend you. So when the angel says, Do not be afraid. You can be sure that the message is going to scare you. It's going to take you into uncomfortable territory. That's been my experience. How about you? If I feel a prompting from God or a call from God, a message that I think may be from God, usually the message is going to take me to a place where I'm going to have to trust God more than I ever have before. If I'm going to step in the direction I feel God is leading me, usually I'm going to have to trust even more. And sure enough, this message from this angel, this messenger to Mary says, and now you will conceive in your womb and bear a son. Well, if you were a teenager, out of wedlock, and now you're about to be pregnant, any teenager you know who would not be scared... And rightly so. This is not a good situation. This is a terrible situation to find yourself in. I mean, it's scandalous morally. But for Mary in her day and age, betrothed to Joseph, 
But if pregnant by someone else, if he's not the father, then the whole deal is off. Literally, she could be left out in the cold. In that culture at that time, you needed a man to support you. But he's off the hook if it goes this way. Where is that going to leave Mary? I think it's a disturbing message, despite the fact that the angel says, Oh, you are a favored one. I think she's having trouble seeing that. The messenger goes on to tell her in verse 32, This son of yours, he will be great and will be called the son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his ancestor David. He will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom there will be no end. My, that is a great pronouncement about what's going to happen. But Mary doesn't go with that. She's still back with the first part of the message, you will conceive. She's still questioning the possibility of the first step of this heavenly plan. It's not a favored kind of message that she hears when it first comes to her. It is disturbing, maybe even devastating. She may be feeling desperate. I remember when my wife Mary and I had our first child. A few hours after the birth, she had a stroke. It was a bad situation. I'm telling you, it was a terrible situation. It was a long, dark night. It was probably the most desperate I have felt in my whole life. And I should tell you, when I was 17, I had a near-death experience. I nearly died. This was much worse. Hour by hour, she was losing functions of her brain and of her body. They were stopping. They were not working. The doctors and nurses didn't seem to know what they could do. And during that night, I began to pray, Help us, oh God, this doesn't seem to be right. This can't be right. This is a bad situation. Do not take her from me. We have so many plans. There's a new baby. She needs her mother. I need her by my side. I want her by my side. Oh, Lord, help us heal her. It was a long night. Thank God she got better. But I couldn't see it in the midst of those minutes and hours as they ticked through the night. And so I just continued to pace the room and the hallways and pray, help us, O oh God. I know you know what is best, but this doesn't seem to be the best. This doesn't seem right. I can't see it. Help us through this. I could have turned away from God that night, but I turned toward God in my desperation. And this story from Luke even though Mary receives a disturbing message, she too turns toward God. She doesn't say, no way. She doesn't say, I'm out of here. She says, how? How can this be? She doesn't say, why? She doesn't ask, why me? She says, how can this be? And the messenger says, it's going to be by the power of the Holy Spirit. In fact, God is in, at work right now in your life to make this possible. And not only that, God is at work in your relative Elizabeth's life, the one who is aged and barren, and therefore probably many thought cursed by God, is
is pregnant. Six months. She too is going to bear a son. For nothing is impossible with God. Now remember, all Bible stories are written primarily to tell us about God. And how humans experience a relationship with God. I submit to you this morning that this is not a text teaching us about biology, but this writer wants to make a great theological claim, nothing is impossible with God. In other words, God can bring light out of dark. God can bring divine life out of young, unwed mothers. God can bring new life out of old life. God can see a way through when we cannot see the way through. God is offering us life, life abundant and life eternal. God is at work in your very life right now to bring new life, new things, abundance into your experience. For nothing is impossible with God. Can you hear the good news in that? The good news is that God can see a way even when you cannot see a way. Even when you see nothing but darkness, God is thinking light. God will lead you through all your difficult circumstances, all your devastating experiences, your times of despair or depression or frustration or doubt. God can bring you through that. That's the message of the gospel this morning. Nothing is impossible with God. And then notice the transition that this text makes and Mary makes in it when that settles into her heart. When she realizes that good news, she makes a dramatic shift from how can this be to here am I. Did you hear that in verse 38? After the messenger is finished, Mary says, here am I, the servant of the Lord. Let it be with me according to your word. Do you know the name Kevin Durant? For those of you who are not basketball fans, Kevin Durant is a very good basketball player. In fact, he was selected as the most valuable player in the National Basketball Association last season. He plays for the pro team in Oklahoma City, the Thunder. When he first broke onto the scene in this part of the world, he was a freshman at the University of Texas. He plays really well. He only played one year there because the pros were ready to hire him. He signed a contract for millions and millions of dollars. And then he began to play with the professionals, and he did really well. And it appeared that everything in his life had gone beautifully, as if he had lived a charmed life. But I was listening to him a few months ago when he was actually given this most valuable player award. He was thanking all those people who had had an impact on his life. He was very careful to talk about people, early coaches, teammates. He talked about all of his teammates that were gathered there that day. He talked about his current day coaches and the management and all the people in the organization that had helped him. He saved his mother, Wanda, for last. He said she is the one who took him to church and taught him Christian values and taught him to trust in God. But as he was talking about that, you realize he had been in some very rough situations. He looked right at his mother and he said, thank you so much. You're the one 
that helped us believe. You're the one who helped us stay off the streets, put clothes on our back, food on our table. When we didn't have enough to eat, you made sure we ate. Even if you didn't eat, you went to sleep hungry. You sacrificed for us. Tears are running down his face. The camera goes to her. She is weeping as well. He said, you're the one who made us believe. He said, my, one of my fondest memories was that first apartment we had. No bed, no furniture, and we just sat in the empty room and hugged each other and thought, we made it. People told us we shouldn't be here, but we have made it. And he said, you sacrifice for me. You're the real MVP. And there were thousands gathered there who spontaneously began to applaud because they sensed the gravity of the situation. They realized he had not lived a charmed life. There had been some very rough times in his background, but they could see he had this bond with his mother, and she had brought him through. And he wasn't forgetting her in this time of glory. He was remembering her. Late in the season last year, a woman reporter was interviewing Kevin Durant. And she asked him the question, how do you do it? Game in, game out. You play at such a high level. How do you do it? And I think he surprised everyone with his answer. He said, God. God, that's all I can say. Jesus Christ. Humility opens the door for God to enter into our lives. What if each of us in this season of Advent said with Mary, here am I, the servant of the Lord. Let it be with me according to your word. Amen, and thanks be to God.